have a question about your home? Call Ken the Contractor. It's amazing how far water will travel once it enters someplace on the roof. It, it, it's always surprised me. It's rare that you find a leak exactly where a hole may be or where there's a bad shingle, for example. So my, my guess is if you continue to fight this and you know your basement is dry, uh, that you've got a, a, a problem elsewhere. It's either from a plumbing line or it's coming from that roof. And since you know you have some roof problems, I'd venture to say when you re-roof that house, you're going to find the source and you're going to eliminate this. Do you have a question about your home? Call Ken the Contractor. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another hour of Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor, and he's here weekends at this time to answer questions that are important to today's homeowner. There's a couple different ways that you can get your questions to Ken. You can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or you can email your questions to KenTheContractor.com. Well, what a difference 12 months makes. The difference between January and December of this year in the housing market has been staggering. And as we've seen things change over the last couple of years, I think you know where I'm going with this. I've had a couple of shows where we've dealt with the home market. And when we look at home sales today, they're clearly on the move. The inventory is down of both new homes as well as existing homes. Housing starts are up, but not enough to keep up with demand. So you have to ask yourself, and I know many of you are out there. I've talked to a lot of you. Is next year the right year for us to be buying a house? We're going to talk a little bit about that in this particular segment, but first I want to give you some very important statistical data. And I'm not going to sit here and read through a bunch of numbers, but these are important to you, and I know you've listened to them, ABC, NBC, some of the other uh, national networks and media sources have broadcast this recently because it's come down from the National Association of Realtors, their November report on housing sales and starts and permits across this country. And sales of existing homes increased in October while home prices continued to rise during the lower levels of inventory supply, according to, as I said, the National Association of Realtors. Now, existing homes, that includes, when you hear these numbers, because this is a standard put out by the National Association of Realtors, existing homes includes family homes, single-family homes, townhomes, and condominiums. So I know many of you are living in different parts of the country. You're in uh, downtown city areas and condos. You may be in townhomes, but it encompasses all of those. And when you look at those combined, according to the NAR, that was up 10.9% above the same level in October of 2011. These are going to mean something to you in just a moment. It doesn't mean anything when you just hear these numbers. But the growing demand with limited inventory clearly is pressuring, starting to pressure already, prices in much of the country. Not everywhere, but we're seeing that according to the National Association of Realtors. What we're also seeing is the national median price of existing homes is $178,600 in October, which is up also 11% from the same time the prior year. You see the trend here? You see home sales going up. You see home prices going up. I think you have some idea where I'm going. The other thing I want you to pay attention to, foreclosures and short sales accounted for 24% of the October sales market. Now, when you think about that, that sounds like it could be great, but when you listen to this next number, you want to see that you're starting to see a gap closing here. Foreclosures sold for an average discount of 20% below market value in October, while short sales were discounted only 14%. So those bargains that we thought were on the market, and indeed they were two and three years ago, some of these may have been discounted 50% or more. Now we're seeing only 20% below market on foreclosures, 14% on short sales. We're going to see that gap continue to get closer and closer 
to fair market value of homes in the marketplace. So for those of you that are thinking, have been waiting, there's still some foreclosures in my community, could be a real bargain here, that bargain is dwindling. And you might want to think a little more about moving on some of those as you move into the next several weeks, into next year especially. Now, the total housing inventory at the end of October uh, for existing homes represents a 5.4-month supply. You hear these numbers say, that doesn't mean anything to me, a 5.4-month supply. But here's why it should mean something to you. In October of this year, with only 5.4 months, and that is based on how we as consumers buy homes across this country. They look at the number of homes that are available, both in existing homes, homes that are being constructed, permits that are being issued to contractors, developments that are underway. They say, nationally, we buy X number of homes per month. Then they look at the total in the pipeline and in the inventory, and they say, there's only enough housing inventory to satisfy the need of the American population for 5.4 months. Contrast that to 2008 when we had a 10.4-month supply. That gives you a real indication of what's happening in the marketplace. And as we see fewer and fewer homes, we're going to see fewer opportunities for all of you looking to purchase. So let's talk about why these numbers are really important to you briefly. First, we see that inventory is being depleted. It's the old law of supply and demand, folks. If there is more supply and uh, less demand, prices tend to be down. If it's the other way around, if there's much more demand and there's less supply available, prices go up. You get into bidding wars, which we saw multiple years ago. Hopefully we don't see that again, although I understand it does exist right now in some parts of this country. We're also seeing another thing that's a key driver. And for many of you that are quite young, you're saying, I can't really really relate to this. But I want to tell you, Jim and I sit here in the studio, and we can go back to times when home interest rates were at 15%, and you thought you were really living the high life if you could refinance at 12 and a half or 13. You remember that, Jim? Can you, you remember those times when you would sweat out whether or not you'd be approved for a mortgage? Absolutely. I mean, and it was just, it was absolutely amazing what many Americans have been through over the last few decades in the housing market. But we are at record low rates as a whole. Now, I don't mean the exact rate, the 0.35 today is the lowest you have ever seen. But the fact that we're down in the three and a half to four percent range on 30 year mortgages fixed for people in my age bracket, I want to tell you that is phenomenal. That is absolutely phenomenal. And so if you're thinking about buying a home, you're seeing some of these bargains start to disappear. You're seeing the margins, if you will, on foreclosures, on short sales, get closer and closer to just fair market value. You're seeing the extreme low interest rates that are out there. It is a very favorable time for you to be buying. Also on new homes, because prices have not spiked yet on materials. It will when we get into higher demand. But how tight is that market? I'm hearing from folks that there is obviously money available with these historically low rates, but it's tougher to get a mortgage. You've got to be qualified. We have gone back to the basics in this country on mortgages, and if you're not ready for a mortgage, if you don't have the cash down payment, if you don't have a good job, if you don't have good credit history, Folks, I'm sorry, but you're not going to be there because that's where the industry has gone today. What you need to do is spend some time because we're going to be in this good market for a reasonable period of time. You need to work on your credit rating. You need to work on that good job. You need to pay down some of your debt. You need to get yourself in a good credit-worthy position where you can take advantage of the low rates that we have, the buying opportunities that are available in the marketplace, and be able to move into something that may cost you a good deal less than renting. Because there's one, there's a tremendous amount of uncertainty out there coming out of Washington and other things. But if there's one thing I think you'd be willing to bet on, 
right now, it doesn't look like interest rates are going up anytime soon. And I think we hear that from the Fed. Rates are going to stay fairly constant. They're telling us for some period of time. I think we can look at at least another full year, maybe a little longer on that, maybe as long as two. But what we will see, though, is we're going to see the supply go down, which will raise the price on the houses. Then we're going to see builders starting more homes. That's an inflationary cycle when it comes to building materials, lumber, shingles, appliances. Those will start to go up. And one of the biggest things I have to tell you about that's a negative, and that is you're not seeing a lot of money available to developers, though, for land acquisition and development, which means land prices go up. Coming up on this edition of Ken the Contractor, appliances that everyone can use and our app of the week. It's all coming up in just minutes. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back to Ken the Contractor. If you have a question about your home inside or out, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or you can email your questions to our website, KenTheContractor.com. Let's go back to the phones right now. And joining us on the phones right now is Steve. Hi, Steve. You're on the air with Ken the Contractor. Uh, thank, uh, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Uh, we live in an approximately a hundred year old house, and back in 1984, we installed a solar system. It's a hot water drain down system. The panels are up on our carport. There's three of them, approximately five by ten, and then uh, the water drain uh, at nighttime when it worked drained down into the basement, about a 500 gallon. Uh, prefab tank, but the problem is uh, uh, electricity hit a, I mean lightning hit a tree not too far from them you know, a number of years, excuse me, a number of years ago and fried the electronics and there's several leaks in the pipeline so it hasn't worked in quite a few years. So we was just wondering whether we should uh, try to tear the system out or leave it and let somebody else worry with it or what. Well, frankly, if it's something that you think is a negative in selling that home and you can have it removed and it cleans up either the appearance or just the roof line in that area, I would have it taken out because if you can't get people to stop in and look at the house when it comes time to sell it, if, if they drive by, it's what we call curb appeal. Right. If it's a negative to them, then I would say you're going to reduce the chances of selling the house rapidly when this could be an item that for a few hundred dollars you could have removed, sell for scrap value, maybe even recover part of your cost of having it removed as a result of that. Right. And Because you're describing three panels at about a total of 150 square feet. Correct. And as far as the tank goes, that could be beneficial. I wouldn't remove the tank. Well, the tank is just made out of two-by-fours with a rubber neoprene lining like you'd put on a roof. All right, but still you've got a, a tank if it's sound, if it's if the tank itself doesn't leak and it's a reservoir, for so many of us today we're we're a little more uh, I guess environmentally friendly. We're trying to collect rainwater. That can be an easy way to collect rainwater to use for irrigation, for washing cars, for a number of other things around the house instead of rain barrel. Well, but uh, in addition to that, though, there is a cistern that uh, when we were on our well system, the water pump from the well to the cistern, the cistern to the house. So we have about 2,000 gallons of water right at the back door. See, I would turn that into a positive in selling the home, frankly. I, I would right. not see those as a negative for some of the reasons that I just said. Now, there could be people turned off by that, right. but you're also, because of that, you're going to appeal to a certain part of the population that says, I've got a pretty substantial water reservoir system for the things I want to do for my gardening, for my yard work, those right. type items. 
So you can always take something that to someone's a negative and you can make a strong positive out of it for others that's saying, I'd really like to find a home with this. Right. But you've got to get them to stop in first, and the curb appeal is something I'm always looking at, whether it's cleaning up the landscaping, getting trash out of the yard, repairing broken concrete, or just resealing an asphalt driveway. Right. And if you've got an old system that serves no purpose today, especially when you talk to somebody about it, no, it doesn't work. It's just been hanging around for years. Right. I would go ahead and find a way to take that off and to clean up that area uh, so as people look at the house, they don't see it as a negative, and then sell sure. those, those reservoirs as a positive. Okay. Well, appreciate that information. Thanks for your call. We appreciate you listening. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, Steve. We do appreciate the call. Don't forget, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. We've got an email uh, that comes to us from Athens, Alabama, Ken, and it deals with windows. Neil says he has a house that was built in the 1940s, and it has the original wood frame windows installed. He goes on to say, I'm tired of not being able to open some of them, said they're hard to raise and will not stay open. The ones that work appear as easy as always to open. What's the problem, and how do I get it repaired, or do I need to go out and just replace all of these windows? Well, Neil, you know, somewhere down the line, you might want to consider replacing all those windows, but obviously for all of us, we have to have this in our budget, because one, you can end up with different styles or even the same style of window that's much easier to operate, but more importantly, will be thermally efficient because no doubt in a 1940s home you've got single pane glass and while you don't live in part of the world that has some of the extreme cold they do in the dakotas and uh, new england and so forth you still have some cold nights during the winter you may find that energy efficient windows will help you later on but let's don't talk about that right now because that may not be in your budget let's deal with your current problem these old wood frame windows have weights and ropes and pulleys on them they act as a counterbalance and that's located inside the jam now, if you happen to be uh, carpentry inclined, I'll say you may want to pull one of those off that you just can't get up at all. You may want to pull the casing off and uh, get into that jam and see what I'm talking about. You're going to find it's fairly easy to do, again, for most of us that, are, that, that have uh, any carpentry skills and are mechanically inclined. But if it is not something you're comfortable with, then there are going to be window service companies that both service, repair, and replace windows throughout the Athens region, and you need to get at least three bids on those, have companies come out and look at these. But there's no doubt in my mind what you're describing is a problem. You either have a broken rope, you have a pulley that's not working anymore, you may have it on one side that's functioning. If a window to you is just not as hard as it some of the others, but it's not as easy as the others, they may have pulleys and, and weights on both sides. The bigger windows will have, and you may have one working and the other not. They won't stay up and you have a hard time raising them. So that's going to be your real issue, but scout around, find you at least three qualified companies, ask for references for those companies, people that they have done work for, and ask check in with your, your Better Business Bureau. Also check with your building officials to be sure they're licensed. A lot of things that I constantly promote that people should be checking on, you need to do the same thing, but there's no reason to rush out right now unless it's in your budget and spend a bundle of money to replace all the windows in the house. If you have a question for Ken, it's 800-614-2975, or you can email us at kenthecontractor.com. And, Ken, I know you wanted to talk for a moment about indoor and outdoor lighting relating to the holidays, that uh, there are folks who, some folks who really, really bring out lights to a very, very large degree at the uh, at the holiday season, uh, and at times 
probably don't use the best judgment in the ways in which to kind of get this stuff all hooked together and get it displayed. You know, we get caught up in the festivities and the time of year, and we forget that we're dealing with electricity in most cases, and that can be dangerous. It can be deadly if it's handled incorrectly. And many of our lighting devices spend uh, their 11 months out of the year in the attic or in the basement, and a lot of them are probably older than you are, especially if they've been handed down. I know some of mine are. And uh, you need to inspect the wires, you need to inspect the outlets, and be sure they're still safe to use because the insulation on these wires do crack. They can wear off over time. They can be not only fire hazards, as we talked about on indoor items in a previous show, but they can be, more importantly, electrical safety hazards for us on the outside. So be sure you've inspected all of the lights, all of the, the lighting sockets, if you will, on those, that any frayed or bare wires those devices go away. You don't put them up at all. You also want to be sure that you're fastening these lights properly, especially for many of us, we like to put them on the gutters and the eaves and other areas of the house, and they're prone to being just flopping back and forth when we have these stronger winds. So you want to be sure they're fairly secure because even if you put them up and they're in good shape, you could develop a short and an electrical hazard because of the wind, something cutting or damaging the wires that create a safety issue as you move on through these next uh, week or two or three or so forth, depending on how long you have them up. And then you also want to be careful with extension cords outside that they are rated for the number of strings of lights that you're plugging in. Don't have 47 strings of light onto one indoor extension cord. First, use an outdoor extension cord on the outside and know what it's rated for. You could cause a fire there as well. Just don't take these things for granted and be safe. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. If you have a question for Ken, you can reach us at 800-614-2975. Friend us on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and follow us on Ken Answers. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. A house is what you build, a home is what you make it. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. He's here taking your calls. Questions about your home inside or out at 800-614-2975 or email your questions to our website, KenTheContractor.com. We go back to the phones right now, and Jim joins us. Hi, Jim. You're on the air with Ken the Contractor. Hello there. Thank you for uh, taking my question. Thank you. Uh, I uh, In my home, I've got... Uh, propane furnace and I also have a wood furnace and they're they're both uh, just put into the same ductwork and so when one's on it blows out the other one and when the other's on it blows that one and um, I'm just wondering if there's a simple way to block those off from each other or do I just need to get a duct guy to come in there and cut into the duct and put something in or what would you would suggest I do? Well, to be, I'm not sure I'm following you. You say one, they're actually, when one is on, there's so much force that it is, uh, when you say it blows out the other one, it's actually stopping it from working? Well, no, it just, you know, the air leaks out through okay. the intakes, basically, of the other one. Yeah, it sounds to me like, now that I understand that, that you've got more air going through the ductwork than the ductwork is designed for. Oh. Because you've got, you've got some forced air from both systems, correct? Yes. Okay. Ductwork is designed to carry so many CFMs, that's cubic feet per minute. And let's say, for example, if it's designed to move 1,500 cubic feet per minute, your main duct line, and then the branches from there, you have one system that might be producing 1,200 CFM. When the other one comes on, let's say it produces 1,000 CFM. Now you've got 2,200 cubic feet of air trying to go through a duct system only designed to handle 1,500 cubic feet per minute. 
and that would be okay. that would create a fair amount of leakage. You're probably getting some noise with that as well. I'm, I would guess that that would take the place when both of those are energized and operating at the same time. Well, I only use one at a time. I mean, I just I want to have one blocked off until yeah. the other one's going. You know, but. Yeah. Now, are you using them at the same time? I don't mean they're on at the same time, but in the same day. You may have propane in the evening and the other running in the morning. I have not tried that. I I generally just, I've had the propane going for the last couple of years. Decided the propane's just getting too expensive, and I'm going to go back to the wood furnace for a while. And that's where a lot of people are because propane's certainly not getting any lower. Then you may want to consider some type of an interlocking control that's just low voltage. It says when one's on, the other can't be, and it, what it will do is close a damper in the ductwork so you're not discharging that heat back into the unit that's not on. Yeah, and so that, I need to And that can be done with a, with a solenoid valve and a damper that's actually installed in the duct on the discharge side of both of those so that it only okay. allows one to be open at a time, and it ties back to the unit. So if that unit's fired, it will open the damper. If it's not fired, the damper does not open on that discharge, then you have a solid duct system. But if they both operate at the same time, as I said earlier, you're going to put too much air movement through the duct work for its design. But the long yeah. and short is a, a duct company, an air conditioning company, would be your ideal source for that. And then you've got the best of both worlds. You have two potential heating sources that you know work for you, and you're not creating heat and then throwing it back through the other furnace that's not operating. Yeah, that that sounds like a good plan. So I just need to contact somebody that, that puts in furnaces or air conditioning or does duct work and, and have them put in a, a damper and solenoid system. Right. And, again, it's tied to the unit that it's supplying air, that's supplying the air to that duct so that when it's fired, that damper's open. You want to be sure that damper's open. You don't have any option in that. Yeah, yeah. So each one would have one. Right. That's correct. All right. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate your call. Thanks for listening. Bye. If you have a question about your home, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Time for our Universal Living Tip of the Week, and this week it deals with appliances. Well, it does. A lot of us don't think about the flexibility of appliances, and we've talked about Universal Living a number of times on this show, and it's not all about physical disabilities. It's about how we live in our home, folks. There are folks that are extremely tall. That's not a disability. They may think so, but most of us, we don't associate that with a disability as someone that may have a, a physical or health disability. Yet for people that are extremely tall or people that are extremely short, the positioning of appliances can make a lot of difference in how they're used and the comfort in using those appliances. So companies like GE, Whirlpool, and Frigidaire have opened the doors to a complete or a full line of what they term universal or accessible design appliances. This may mean that the traditional oven door that swings down now opens right to left, like your regular door does going into the house, for example, because it makes it so much easier in certain applications. Dishwashers, in some cases, are now going linear. They're becoming wider and not as tall, That which means the bottom shelf is not as close to the floor. makes it a lot easier for people to deal with. It may have problems with knees or stooping or bending over. But what we used to have to do is improvise. We used to have to make these appliances or make cabinets so that we could get around this for people that were tall, short, had physical disabilities, or just were looking at a different way of having it convenient for the way they function in their kitchen. Now, again, these major manufacturers have said GE, Whirlpool, Frigidaire, and others have a complete line of accessible or universal design appliances. So if you're remodeling your kitchen, whether you're in great health or whether you happen to have a disability or someone in your family does, think about two things. 
that are very important. One, how you use the kitchen, and that means how much cooking you do. Are you a gourmet cook? Where you store pots and pans? The uh, Where you particularly want dry goods versus refrigerated goods? And then think about the appliances that are available and what's most convenient for you. Today, when you look at refrigerator freezers, for example, the old side-by-side units are still there. A lot of people like them. Many people don't. But what we're seeing in the industry, some of these companies I've just mentioned for universal living, is we're seeing double doors with the refrigerator up top and the freezer has moved to the bottom, also with double swing doors on them. So there's so many products available out there that just make it easy for us to live in the home. When I talk universal living, I'm talking to every listener that we have, no matter what age you are or physical condition, because these are things that make it easier for us to live and function and operate in our home. Think about that if you're buying new kitchen appliances or planning a redesign. Would it be easy to find these appliances, or are they going to be a little more difficult depending on where you're listening to us? You're not going to find as many of them in your showrooms. You may find some in the bigger showrooms in your neighborhood. But what you will find over time as we buy more, that there will be more of them out there, and they will become, I think, the replacement for everything that's there today because it says we're catering to everybody and their needs. Interesting, and uh, we had a lot of questions like Jim's uh, a few moments ago about heating and cooling, and you've talked about this before, and I didn't ever think in my lifetime that I'd see a Christmas circular from a major retailer like Best Buy include something to consider for Christmas, a learning thermostat. Control your heating or cooling system from anywhere using a mobile phone, tablet, or laptop, and always return home to a cozy home. They're offering that for two forty nine ninety nine, and also another one for those of you who are pet owners. And this goes with that smart home technology that we've talked about, pet tracker systems, so that you'll know at all times uh, where your dog or your cat is. It's an integration of a, a collar and also one of those little homing devices they used to use on those cop shows years ago. Remember they'd watch the little beeps I do indeed as as they'd move around. But it's it's all part of this technology that you've talked about, uh, where we are now integrating in more and more of this technology to control the situation, to control the way in which we live our lives, whether it's the types of appliances that we use or the way in which we make them work for us smarter. I think for all of us, we want to be in a control, especially in our home environment, as much as possible, and we want to know what's going on, and that's what the technology is allowing us to do. Ken Pat- Patterson is Ken the Contractor. He's got over 30 years' experience as a Class A licensed contractor. He's designed and built multi-million dollar commercial and industrial projects as well as single-family homes up and down the East Coast. And he's here to answer the questions that are important to you, today's homeowner, each week on Ken the Contractor. You can always reach us at 800-614-2975. This is Ken the Contractor. Welcome back. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. I'm Jim Britt along with Ken the Contractor. Ken is here weekends at this time to answer your questions about your home. And if you've got a question for Ken, 800-614-295. That's 800-614-2975. And if you want to email a question, you can. And just send it to KenTheContractor.com. We've got an interesting one from Sylvia. Uh, and the crux of her question is, Ken, uh, she's been transferred overseas for the next two years and uh, wants to know, what do you do with that house you're living in right now? Yeah, and the answer I'm going to give, so all of you will pay attention, depends on what part of the country you live in and how your real estate market is. Now, Sylvia writes this to us, says she lives in Lynchburg, Virginia. She says, my husband has taken a job overseas, as you say, and they're going to be gone for two years. And so the real question is, What do I do? Do I sell? Do I rent? I've heard, and she goes on in this email and says, we've heard some bad stories about property management services and some awful stories about renters. 
Well, you know what? That's true of absolutely every industry, uh, Sylvia. There's good and bad in that. But I would tell you that if you're working with, and I'm going to encourage you to, especially since you're not nearby, that you work with a good realtor, a good property management company, and consider renting the property. Now, it also depends on what your mortgage balance is, whether you have a mortgage. And if so, is your mortgage extremely high to the point that you're going to have to charge more rent than it takes to cover that mortgage? So yeah, a lot of variables come into play for you and others. But I would talk to a local qualified realtor that understands the marketplace. I would have them assess the value, the market value of your home. Look at how rapidly homes are selling in your marketplace and in your part of the country. It's not too bad right now. And then let them make a determination of rent for that market as well. So if you're paying $1,000 a month in mortgage payment, is rental going to command more than that? Are you going to be able to get twelve, fifteen hundred $1,500 a month or is 800 as high as it goes? Because that would influence me as to whether I'm going to sell or whether I'm going to try and rent the home. Then also you want to talk to them if they're a property management company. If they're not, interview one or two other significant property management companies in your area. Find out what they can rent it for, their experience, their background. Talk to people where they manage properties and see how effectively they work both in maintaining the property, pre-qualifying tenants to go in to be sure they've got good background, good track records. They're not going to tear up and, and trash your property. They're going to pay the rent on time. They're going to do what they're supposed to according to contract. If you've got a good management company in place, they're going to do those things. You're going to be happy with the renter, and the money's going to continue to come to you on a monthly basis. Lastly, you need to determine where you're going if you know that at the end of two years, because if this is only a two-year stint at this job and you're coming back to Lynchburg and that's where you want to be and you like this house, then you really may want to consider just renting or leasing this house out so you've got a place to come to when you get home. Now, you've managed quite a few. You've, you've had properties for years that have been uh, used I do, and I still on do a today. rental basis. I think a lot of folks, particularly if they're buying their first, second home and it's a recreational home and they're leery about renting it out. I know I talked with someone about that recently who they were almost willing to forego the extra income just because of the horror stories they had heard about trying to manage rental properties or find someone to manage the rental properties for them. Well, it can be difficult. There are a lot of people that claim to be in property management that really are not professional property managers. And, you know, I've been in real estate my entire career. And I'll tell you, when I have local properties, which I do, that may be single in nature, you've got one or two properties here and there, single family duplex, we will rent and manage those ourselves. Multifamily, I don't. I've always given those to professional companies where I have multifamily. Properties that are remote from where I live, I give those to professional companies. It's worth paying them the dollars and cents to do the things I'm talking about. That's pre-qualify the lender, or the renter and uh, do all the financial, criminal background checks, all the things that are proper in today's world, that's how you know you're going to end up with someone that will take reasonably good care of your property and you have a professional that's taking time to pay attention and look after it because they want your business over and over again. So if you don't have that skill set and you're not there locally and you're not interested in dealing with it, then you don't need to be in the rental business. But in her case, it sounds like they're being somewhat forced because of a good opportunity, I assume, to be transferred overseas. But you have to put all three of those variables, I think, on the table. Where am I coming when I return from this job at two years? What's my market in terms of the ability to sell right now? And what's the rental for a comparable house in my community? All those have to be on the table before you make a decision because you're going to find no matter where you are, there are qualified real estate agents and qualified property managers that can do this right for you. All right. Time now for our app of the week. It is indeed, and we're always talking about technology as we have in other segments, even on this show. This app of the week costs you all of $2.99. 
It's compatible, unfortunately, not with Android-based phones, but with iPhone, with the iPad Touch, and with iPad. And uh, it is called Baluster Pro because I have talked to enough people that said, I really don't know how to lay out these balusters. Some of you call them spindles or pickets that are in stair rails, especially when you're on stairs, even on balconies, out on decks. So if you're one of those do-it-yourselfers and you're building a deck, you've got that in the offing coming springtime, you've got stairs, and you're saying, I really hate that, I can put these flat boards down. Or maybe you're even putting up a picket fence, and you're saying, I really don't know how to get all the spacing right as I go through here. Because if you start out off an eighth of an inch out of plumb, or it's wrong, by the time you get to the end of a 200-foot wrong, it could look worse than the Leaning Tower of Pisa, folks. So this one is called Baluster Pro. It's a unique and handy tool. It's designed for carpenters, woodworkers, and do-it-yourselfers alike that are inclined to be doing this type of woodwork. What it does is it makes the chore of calculating spaces on handrail balusters quick and very easy for anyone. It can also be used, as I said, for any job requiring equal spacing between boards or slats. You can use it for picket fences. If you're into furniture building, you've got issues with the bench or chair backs or decking, anything that requires uniform spacing, $2.99, and it works with, again, your iPhone, iPod Touch. Whenever I hear you describe something like that being out of whack or out of alignment, I remember the story from years ago, and I don't remember what city this happened in. And out of respect for them, even if I did, I don't know if I would repeat it. But it was a bridge construction project where they started on each bank and built towards the middle. Needless to say, when they got to the middle, it didn't work. And you had to jump? It, it, no, it, it cost them substantial millions of dollars to be able to line it up. It was either out of alignment or something to that effect, but it just they could not join the two elements of the bridge together. Unfortunately, that happens from time to time. But most of us as homeowners don't have issues quite that big or quite that expensive. But, you know, the little technology gadgets that we talk about on the show, these apps and other tools that are out there, really make things so easy for us. But one thing I don't want you to do is forget about how to do math because you're using all these electronics because there are going to be times we just don't have these gadgets around and we got to pull the tape measure out, the ruler. We still have to work with those fractions. It's not all bad sometimes to do it manually. Yeah, but I, I think the one thing that a lot of these products that are available, whether it's this app that you alluded to or some of the different things that you can buy, is it does allow folks, and and I can say this because I have very little mechanical ability, but if I have to do something basic around my house and I've got some type of piece of equipment like this, you know, the the levelers are a great example of that. because if I'm going to do it, even if it does take me longer than it should have, I do want it to look right. And with a lot of these different uh, pieces of equipment that you can purchase now for homeowner use, it can allow you to do the job very, very well. Well, and they're so affordable. You spend 2 $3, you download it into your smartphone, and some we've talked about, you've got four and five gadgets. You, you, you've got the leveler, you've got stud finder in there, you've got a tape measure. I mean, it, it, all kinds of gadgets for just a few dollars, and especially for Folks that do a little bit every now and then around the house, they don't need to spend all this money on these professional tools and then find a place to store them. When, as you say, this allows you to do it right. And that'll wrap up this hour of Ken the Contractor. Each week, we bring you the answers to the questions that are important to today's homeowner. You can always reach Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor, at 800-614-2975. Or don't forget, you can email questions to our website. That's KenTheContractor.com. You've been listening to Ken the Contractor.
You've been listening to Ken the Contractor. Every weekend at this time, Ken the Contractor, Ken Patterson is here taking your calls. Don't forget, you can friend Ken on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and follow him on Twitter at Ken Answers. And if you're looking for home improvement information at any time, go to KenTheContractor.com.